Well, the folks at Saskatoon's Veto Intervac are extremely busy. This is the University of Saskatchewan's organization, the first facility in Canada to actually isolate the virus that causes COVID-19 and to establish an animal model uh, for testing this. We've uh, had the pleasure of having the CEO and director, Dr. Volker Gertz, with us before. And with all of the news this week and the hopes that uh, rose so high and then the concerns that followed so quickly, uh, we wanted to go back to him to get a little update of where we are. Welcome. Good to see you again. Are you exhausted? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been busy days these days, for sure. <laughs> All right, tell us where we are, because we hear this news that we've got vaccines, not we, I mean the royal we, the world, has vaccines uh, to two companies, Pfizer and Moderna, uh, and they're using a technology that is newer. It's called mRNA. Uh, it has the advantage of being able to be produce pretty quickly. Can you tell us about that before we talk about your different kind of vaccine? Yeah, so what we're, what we're seeing right now is different technologies going forward. And so those two companies that you mentioned, they're using RNA and RNA is the, if you want, the genetic code um, that the virus uses to make, um, make more virus. And so um, the RNA vaccine is really injecting a piece of the genetic material of the virus encoding for a very special region, which we call the spike protein. And that is one of the structures on the surface of the virus that the virus uses to attach to the host cell, to your cells in your respiratory tract. So the vaccine there is RNA genetic if you want the, the, the nucleic acid encoding for one structure on the surface of the virus. So somebody described it in one of the stories that I read that it's it kind of it's like a wanted poster inside the body and to warn the body and the cells that something that the bad guy is there. Yeah, so you you what you really do is you inject the instructions into a cell of how to make this virus protein. So the, your own cell, after you're being immunized, is now making this one protein of the virus, and that is then being shown to the immune system, and the immune system recognize, recognizes it as foreign. It recognizes it has to make an immune response against it, and that's what happens. Okay, and the work that you are doing, this is a more traditional kind of vaccine, uh subunit protein vaccine. So for the layperson, try to explain that. Yeah, so rather than um, injecting the instruction and then having the cell doing it, we have cells in our reactors and they are producing it in our reactors and then we harvest that protein and we inject the protein. So it's just, you know, if you want, they, they, like rather it's your host cell who is producing it after you inject the RNA, or after you use a viral vector like the adenovirus, the AstraZeneca or Oxford vaccine, it's called, that does the same thing. You have a vector delivering the instruction to the cell of how to make it. We are making it in our little factories and then we're injecting the protein. Okay, all right. So that takes a little bit more time, yes. but it's more uh, predictable and it's, uh, it's more proven. 
it's a proven technology that has been and is part of several vaccines that are currently being used in humans, including, for example, diphtheria, tetanus, whooping cough, um, hepatitis B, all those vaccines, they're all based on subunit proteins, we call it. So we know that it will work. We, we know that they have an excellent safety profile. They, they also have a number of other advantages in, in that um, they're easy to produce, easy to manufacture, not very expensive. They don't require complicated cold and storage um, lines. Um, so they, they have several other advantages too. This other thing about having to be stored at minus 70 or minus 80, I know it feels like that some days here at home in Saskatchewan, but it's really not cold. I mean, this is, uh, this is a complicated process. It is, and uh, you, you probably saw in the news the government has reached out to uh, research labs in the country to uh, use some of their minus 80 capacity to store the vaccine. But then you still have to move it around. Correct. And get it to where it's going and then store it, keep it at that temperature. That, that seems highly complicated. It does, and uh, the Moderna vaccine doesn't require the same cold storage, um, so there is some advantages there. But um, mm -hmm. you know, like what we're seeing right now, as you as you pointed out in your introduction, there's several technologies that are under development, and they all come with their advantages and disadvantages. It's, it's like you know having different cars. Um, you know, some yeah. cars are are better on a highway, and some cars are better off road. Um, some are better for transporting families and others are better for just one individual. And so what we see right now with these RNA vaccines, they are very prom like scientifically very promising new technologies, but we, we haven't seen them in humans before. So this is a new technology and we don't know how well it all will work out. We don't know how long immunity lasts. We don't know how, how often you have to be re-immunized. Um, you know, we also have no information about these vaccines right now, how well they prevent um, transmission from one individual to another. So the clinical trials are still on the way. I think what is what is misleading in all of these things right now is that people think their studies have been completed. These trials right. are still on the way, and, and these are the first results they're coming in. And, and so all we know at the moment is that they're very effective, both of these vaccines very effective in preventing clinical disease, but we have no information on how well they actually prevent transmission between individuals and so on. And, and, and of course, that's very important. If you don't get sick, but still can infect grandma, well, right. then how good is, is the vaccine? So there's, there's a lot of questions around these vaccines that at the moment we don't know, but of course, everybody um, you know, wants to see a vaccine as quickly as possible. And then the other technology, the AstraZeneca vaccine, like the Oxford one, right. that uses, as we as we discussed, it uses a viral vector, so a harmless uh, cold virus, if you want, um, but but per se, that doesn't cause disease. Well, there now we're finding out um, that um, uh, I guess the efficacy of the vaccine largely depends on how much we actually inject. Well, and, well try and explain that to us because it, I think it seemed it was kind of accidental. Yes. They wow. ended up giving people half the dose the first time and then a full dose. And that actually seemed to make it more effective than the other, uh, than, than two full doses. That's right. And again, I haven't seen all the details, so it's hard for me to comment. And I really right. don't want to say anything negative about it. From what I've heard is um, that it seemed like the lower dose seemed to work better. 
that's a common thing. We often see that with um, with vaccines that you have to really find that sweet spot to to get maximum efficacy. Um, whether that was by accident or not, I think there is a lot of rumors right now out there. I, yeah. I don't have any information about it. But I think what is important again is to to ensure your listeners to that you know this is all part of the regular process of how we make vaccines. This does not speak to the safety of it, right? So you know the safety when we assess the safety exactly. of the vaccine, yeah. we look at high and very high doses and low and very low doses. So we cover the whole range of it. And, and so right now, what they have seen is that in this range, if you want, there is a little bit of variation, but they had to test it up here at a maximum dose and also at a very low dose, and it has an excellent safety profile. So, you know, I don't want to give listeners the, the, the um, you know, the, the feeling or the concern that this is all, a, you know, new rushed and nobody right, knows right, what right. they are doing and this is all dangerous and we don't want to get vaccinated. They wouldn't go this far if they didn't have some level of confidence. They had to complete their safety assessment first, which is right. your phase one and your phase two trial. And in order like, to go through this, which is what we are doing or hoping to start soon, you have to have a wide dose range covering, you know, artificially high dose that you're never going to use. But even then you have to demonstrate it's safe and also very, very low dose. And then you you zoom in in the middle, and this is where you actually now use the vaccine. And, yeah, and that's, as you say, that's the sweet spot everybody's right. looking for. So that creates, uh, and there are many questions, but it creates the question uh, in the public of vaccine hesitancy. These are not people necessarily who are anti-vaxxers. I mean, their kids have been vaccinated, but they're saying, whoa, hold on here. Like, don't we need to know more? You're actually prepared to reassure us on that? Well, I, I think what people are saying is, you know, it's a new technology and some okay. people are maybe a little bit more careful in, in having a new technology um, used on them than, than something that is more proven. Um, I don't want to drive in a driverless car either, just FYI. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But I think what is important to understand when we, when we talk about these things, um, you know, a common question that I'm getting is, are we rushing through the safety assessment? Are we taking shortcuts? Will we find out later on that none of these vaccines were safe to use? And so there, I think it's, it's correct to say and, and, and trying to, um, you know, really reach out to your listeners. The mm -hmm. safety assessment, the, the process is as rigorous as it would be if we normally developed a vaccine in five to 10 years rather than trying to do it all in less than two. Um, it's just that we're trying to do things much faster right now. Right. So between each trial, um, the time that it normally takes to, to you know, schedule a new trial, we're right now trying to do it all in parallel, even with the risk of losing money by wasting trials on technologies that are not going forward. It's, it's, you want to be fast. And so you're trying to do as many things as you can in parallel rather than um, yeah. subsequently. That, that, that does help. That is reassuring. So thank you for trying to put that in context. So the other big concern and question, and, and in Saskatoon, you're trying to do two things, which is you have, you want to expand the testing facilities, and you also want to expand manufacturing. 
and you know the latter point is all in the middle of you know uh, a big political hullabaloo uh, these days. So just the very simple question, do we have manufacturing capability in Canada today or will we have it soon? Where are we? So we do have uh, manufacturing capacity in the country. Some of the largest vaccine companies actually are in Canada and have plants here where they make vaccines. So there is Sanofi Pasteur in Toronto, and then there's GSK. They do have large facilities available, um, but they are also using them to make their other vaccines. And so you can't just simply switch from making an influenza vaccine to tomorrow making a COVID-19 vaccine. And so that's the challenge that um, we maybe haven't invested enough money in facilities that are, that are available for new projects as they come along. So new diseases or new vaccines. And what we've been asking the government um, a few years ago and, and, and funding has started a few years ago was to build a pilot scale manufacturing facility here at Vito Intervac that allows us to make clinical grade material. Um, so to, to really speed up the process from discovery research in the lab to eventually commercially manufacturing it. And so what you need to do is in, in the middle have this clinical grade material to, to do, go into these clinical trials. And so this spring, the government recognized um, and, and then awarded the full amount now. And so as you, as you pointed out, we're building right now a GMP manufacturing facility and might be able to uh, even make a COVID-19 vaccine here in 2022. Because you're not in the midst of other projects, this would be a manufacturing right. facility that could respond if there was another COVID-19. That's right. And then uh, the NRC is building a, a new facility and the government also funded that. Uh, Medicago has received funding from the government to build a new facility in Quebec. Um, so as you know, they have a vaccine for COVID-19 mm -hmm. that is already in clinical trials. Um, and then in Vancouver, we, we're, the government is funding um, a GMP facility on antibodies. And then we already have some um, facilities, some capacity, as I, as I mentioned, the very large ones, but also organizations like Therapure and Biodextrous and Nuvax and, uh, and BioVectra, so smaller facilities to, that can help in, in, in um, uh, manufacturing vaccines to a certain level. But it, again, it would all depend on which of those technologies. Not, each, not all of these technologies can be manufactured in, in any of these facilities. And the right. RNA, for example, is the most complicated. Um, we couldn't make the RNA vaccine here in our facility. Okay, so that's why we have these other two questions, which is, yes, the government has pre-purchased uh, doses of vaccines and they try to kind of pick which one or maybe buy some ball. And then there's the question of whether or not, in a sense, we've bought the rights to produce it here, which is different than just importing it from somebody who can. So just uh, speak to us on those two concepts. Yeah, so the government has purchased um, uh, a number of doses of each of these front runners. And so there's the two RNA vaccines, there's the, the adeno vaccine, um, the Oxford one, and then um, they also are looking at Novavax, which is a protein vaccine like ours. 
and they are funding the COVID vaccine that Medicago is making. And as you know, they have supported our research too. Correct. So the government is looking at a very diverse um, portfolio. And I think the strategy is, and I, I, I think that's the right strategy, while we're waiting for Canadian vaccines to come on, on board or come on stream, be available, um, you know, we're we securing access to these other technologies. With the, with the, um, the ability to under license manufacture some of these here in Canada, um, then you have limited technologies. Like I said, the RNA vaccine right, right now cannot be made here. Um, so it's the AstraZeneca vaccine, and, and that, for example, could be made both here at Vito Intervac in the future, as well as the NRC facility. So those are technologies that we can make here. And the same is true for the Novavax vaccine, which is the protein. Um, either NRC or us could make that. So we're going to see uh, the U.S. and the U.K., and according to the news this week, countries like Mexico even, they're going to start vaccinating their people, and we're not um, going to be able to do that. How does, what are you anticipating will be the response to that? Of course, there's going to be a political response, and anybody who's in charge is going to be uh, in trouble. But from your point of view, um, what, how do you have to continue to educate people to say, look, this is not the end of the world, we'll get it, or... Actually, it's really too bad. We should have made decisions much earlier that would allow us to have it much earlier. Yeah, so, I mean, those are political discussions uh, yeah. that have to happen, and they do happen right now, right? Um, I think from my perspective, um, our focus is on on getting a vaccine to Canadians as quickly as possible. You know, I, like for us right now, it's important to get our own technology developed as well as uh, constructing the manufacturing facility that we have here as quickly as possible to ensure that we can then help in, in manufacturing it here in the future. And um, the rest I leave to the politicians. Too. <laughs> I don't blame you for trying not to answer that. That's, a, that's probably a really smart move on your part, especially when you want to keep the funding coming. So the, the bottom line is here, are we also doing enough work in this country on preventative uh, medicines or treatments and cures. Uh, we've seen some stuff, including the president of the United States, who seemed to have some uh, treatments that really worked very effectively. The drugs that I can never say the name, but the hydrochloroquine, whatever, seems to, uh, there's some new tests on that one. Do we have anything that we know is really working well to treat? Yeah, so this is an, an area that I think um, gets little recognition, but Vito has really become one of the go-to places in Canada for COVID-19 research. We have over 70 contracts, in fact, over 80 contracts now on the way, and many of those contracts indeed are to look at antivirals, so these, these, um, these drugs like you just referred to, at new technologies, new molecules that haven't been discovered. We have grants with Gates Foundation, for example, who wants us to screen 25 of their potential antiviral candidates in our animal models. We have um, tested therapeutics, so monoclonal antibodies. Um, some of them were even involved in, in um, you know, some of the big studies. I mean, it got published in very prestigious journals and clearly indicating that um, monoclonal antibodies 
work very effectively in these animal models, and that's what the president was also injected with. Um, so yes, video is playing a very, very big role in, in supporting all of this other research other than vaccines as well. And um, of those 80 contracts, about half of them are Canadian, which is very, very positive. And then, of course, the other half is, as I mentioned, international mm -hmm. companies. Are these drugs being used in Canada when we hear about the growing number of people going into ICU? Uh, we all know about ventilators, but are we giving them some of these drugs? So most of what we have been tested here right now are experimental drugs, new molecules mm -hmm. or um, you know, new members of families of molecules. Um, so, and, and then for those, uh, many of them are not currently being used. Okay. Uh, uh, an update on the research into wastewater, which is another project that's going on in Saskatoon, which allows people, if they test the sewage system, to say, yes, here's a pocket of trouble in this town or this city or this area. Is that proving effective? So we're not directly part of that, but I mean, right. that's an effort that is underway in various cities and the country, Saskatoon being one, of course, as well. Um, you know, what, they, what it really does is the technology is so sensitive now. It allows us to detect these pathogens in the sewage, whether it's uh, human or animal pathogens in it. And it shows that it's a very effective um, screening tool to get a bigger picture of where the virus is, um, where these pockets are, like you said, what the, what the rough number per city might be. Um, so it's, it's a tool in the toolbox for our colleagues and on the public health side. All right. I have to uh, end today with the question of testing. I, this week in Ontario, went to try to get a test because I travel back and forth between Saskatchewan and Ontario. I'm exposed to other senators because we sit together, even though we're socially distanced and we're masked. I ended up going to three different facilities. The first one said you can't come because you don't have any symptoms and your health card is from another province. And we supposedly have a national health care system, but clearly not. The second one, uh, they had computer problems, and finally the third one. But everybody questioned me as to why I would be getting tested. And I said, because I travel and because I think we can't contact Trace if we leave three-month spans between um, the tests. Do we have enough? Well, so again, that's, that's a sensitive question. Um, so here in Saskatoon, I know that it's getting uh, more difficult to get tests done right now with the increasing caseload. Right. Um, certainly, it, you know, because we're seeing this second wave coming now, I think there is a big strain on the system. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a big challenge to get all these tests done. Um, as you know, there is different tests in development that might be much easier and much faster to be used as a pre-screening and only then the ones that might show up positive and that one might uh, require a second test. Um, exactly. So there, there is approaches that are being looked at right now to make it easier to get them through the testing. Um, but, but it is, like you said, it is a, a big challenge right now and a big strain on the system. And I know here in Saskatoon, you can get tested if you are symptom free you have yeah. to wait in line. You cannot call in and say under priority uh, you want to book an appointment. You have to wait in line until it's your turn. No, I go through the, the drive through there and, and do that. I was just, I was surprised at the situation in Ontario.
it's uh, it's for you, I know, 24-7 to do all of this. Everybody's kind of experiencing COVID fatigue. Every time I see one of the ads that says, wash your hands and socially distance, I want to scream at my television or my radio. But I guess it's the only thing we can do. Well, I think from my perspective, um, so we're hoping for vaccines to come on stream, right, early next year. And with that, like, it certainly will help us all a lot, um, provided that people take the vaccine. So I think that's the biggest message to people, um, you know, understanding that you want to wait and so on and see first and how it goes to really see an an effective difference in our lifestyle uh, requires that we get to a level of herd immunity where we can really push this disease back. And so that requires that people get vaccinated. I think the other the other elements remain or continue. It is it, it continues to be important to uh, you know reduce the contacts as much as possible, wear masks, social distance, and so on. But um, I think we're also having better understanding of what we need in in the ICU units and the hospitals to get people through this. Um, so uh, I think our doctors have a much better. Um, handle on this now and much better um, medicine and drugs available to get you through this. So the the mortality rate is not as high anymore as it was in the beginning. We have a better understanding what our treatment options are. And so I think all of that together will make it easier for us um, next year once we have. That is the good news that even though the numbers of cases are going up and spiking the number of deaths uh, are far fewer than they were in round one. That's right. That's yeah. right. And I like I we understand better, you know, and even um, helping people with rest ventilators and 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 like all of those that are, like there is a much better understanding now of how we can treat patients in ICU and and get them out of ICU mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. Thank you so much. I always feel a little guilty when I talk to you because I know when you're talking with us that. You're not solving the problem. So I want you to go back and solve the problem. But thank you for taking the time because you always explain it in a way that we can understand it. Uh, And I really appreciate that. And I hope you and your kids and your wife have a Merry Christmas. Just you. (laughs) Because that's what we're all going to be doing. That's right. Same to you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. We'll talk again. Bye-bye now. Bye. Dr. Volker Gertz, the CEO and director of the Vaccine and Infectious Diseases Organization, International Vaccine Center. Fortunately, we just call it Vito Intervax, so we don't have to say that all the time. But he's always uh, great to talk to. Thanks again.